0: in your Bible with me at this time. The book of First Thessalonians, chapter five. Our text this morning will be the first eleven verses of this chapter, First Thessalonians chapter five. And here we are today. There's a sudden cold spell has fallen upon us, and this is one of those rare occasions where the weathermen were actually right in predicting the weather. We know from time to time there are really. Uh, struggle with their accuracy and at times their forecast can be incorrect. You know there is another group of people throughout uh, history that also have been uh, historically inaccurate with their predictions and it is those groups that time and time again try to predict the second coming of Jesus Christ. They look at the, the scriptures and they try to take what God has spoken and try to piece together a timeline and figure out exactly when will Jesus Christ return. As we've already pointed out in our study through First Thessalonians, the Bible has much to say regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. The question then becomes, what are we to do with this information? If God tells us over and over again in His Word that Jesus is coming back, why, why has God told us this? And what are we supposed to be doing in light of this knowledge? I believe our text today shows us that we should watch expectantly for the return of Jesus and at the same time live responsibly in light of his soon return. We are to watch expectantly but at the same time live as Christians ought to live in light of the knowledge that Jesus is coming again. Let me invite you to stand with me in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. Be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. These words were written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety Then sudden destruction will come upon them suddenly Like labor pains upon a woman with child And they will not escape But you brethren are not in darkness That the day would overtake you like a thief For you are all sons of light and sons of day We are not of night nor of darkness So then let us not sleep as others do but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, they're sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God is not destined to us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Let's pray together, please. Almighty God, we pause at this time to recognize You as the author of these words that were just read. Father, through uh, a man, the Apostle Paul, You chose to use as Your instrument to reveal these words. Nevertheless, these are God-breathed, inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative words. Therefore, God, these words are true and trustworthy. And Father, we come today as believers seeking to submit ourselves to Your Scripture. And God, as You have revealed the return of Christ in this manner, I pray that we would live accordingly as Christians ought to live. Father, bless the study of Your Word and may it have the impact that You so choose for it to have on us today. Let the Christians be encouraged and challenged. Let the unbelievers be reached and saved with the Gospel, we pray. It is through Jesus' name. Amen. You all may be seated. As we've been working our way through this letter from the apostle Paul, we saw last week that the theme was on the second coming of Christ and this is again uh, throughout this entire letter, this brief letter, this theme is a recurring theme that Paul wanted to under this church to understand and Paul wanted this church to be motivated by the return of Christ and we saw last week that he dealt with the return of Jesus and Also the rapture of the church and finally the reunion of Christians with loved ones who have gone before them. And we might say that this week builds off of what he talked about last week. Last week was about comforting the weak. This week Paul deals with convicting the worldly. And we see several aspects about his coming revealed in these 11 verses. And the first thing we see that we are to do in light of this is prepare for a sudden destruction. A sudden destruction will come when Jesus returns. And we see these things about his coming, Uh, Paul spells out, first of all, his coming is unpredictable. That's why it is so foolish for those groups throughout church history and Even today, To try to predict when that day might be, Paul tells us His coming is unpredictable. Verse 1, he says, Now, as to the times and the epics, or the the seasons, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Paul had already instructed them, we see in verse 2, that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. His coming is unpredictable. That phrase, the times and the epics, Jesus Himself dealt with that in the book of Acts when the apostles were asking him, is it at this time, Jesus, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were very much looking forward to that day, and Jesus told them, it's not for you to know Then the times and the epics. But he says, understand, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus taught, taught them, and Paul reminds the Thessalonians and us, His coming is unpredictable. It's not for us to know exactly when that day will be. Verse 2 also shows us His coming is unannounced. It's unannounced. He says, for you yourselves, and and yourselves is emphatic in this text. He says, you yourself, you, you already know full well. In other words, you know accurately. You've got a complete knowledge that this day, the day of the Lord, Will come. The day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the prophets repeatedly talked about the day of the Lord. It was to be a, a day of destruction for the wicked. It was also to be a day of deliverance for the righteous. And The Old Testament repeatedly talks about the day of the Lord. We come to the New Testament. We see that the Lord is none other, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul talks about the day of the Lord this day of deliverance this day of destruction is the day of Christ the day of His return he says you yourselves know accurately that the day of the Lord Jesus' return it will come just like a thief in the night and how, does a, how does a thief come? a thief comes unannounced, right? <laughs> a thief comes when you least expect it you know, a thief doesn't send you a text message to say, you know what I'm going to I'm going to come and I'm going to break into your house on Tuesday. Make sure you're not there at such and such time. And then you pull out your phone and you say, all right, I need to put this on my calendar. The thief is coming at this time. That's not the way thieves operate, is it? You know, Six years ago, some thieves came and stole the copper out of the air conditioners here at the church. They didn't give us any advance notice. They come suddenly. They come unannounced. And Paul says, when Jesus comes, it's going to be like that thief. We're not going to know in advance exactly. You know He's coming. We just don't know when. His coming is unannounced until that day. Verse 3 shows us His coming is unavoidable. While it is unpredictable and unannounced, it is coming and it is unavoidable. And Paul tells the church that in verse 3. He says it's going to come at a time while they are saying, and and throughout last week's text and this week's, there's a repeated contrast between us as believers and them as unbelievers, and he's going to spell that out some more here in just a minute. But he says while they are saying peace and safety, while they are prideful in their predictions about their own security their own state of being. He says, while they are saying this, peace and and safety, then destruction will come. Destruction. Not annihilation, but destruction being the, the punishment and the wrath and the justice of God. It will come to them suddenly. And then he gives an analogy like labor pains upon a woman with child. Now, I've never been with child, so I can't say firsthand. But I have been very close to a woman with child when those labor pains set in. And it comes suddenly, unexpectedly. At any moment, suddenly, there it is. And you know, you know it's coming. Eventually, nine months down the road, there's going to be labor pains. I just can't put it on my schedule. It's going to be on this day at this time but I know they're coming. And it comes suddenly. And Paul says when Jesus returns, it's going to be just like that. It's unavoidable. It will come. And it will come suddenly, unannounced, unexpected, but it will come like labor pains upon a woman with child. And then he says, and they, those who were saying peace and safety, he says, they will not escape. And in the Greek, he uses a double negative there. In English, we, we can't do that because we, we, we know that's, that's not correct. You know, To say, uh, no, not escape. But in Greek, it's emphatic. And he says, no, they will not escape. It's unavoidable. Destruction will come to those who are not prepared. You know, occasionally, we will hear uh, geologists forecast uh, a, a great earthquake. You all heard the stories, you know, one day the, the, the whole western seaboard, uh, California, will fall off into the ocean. And some of you all may not be too sad about that. I don't know. But they forecast these things. And they say Kentucky's on a major fault line. And they say one day there's going to be, you know, quote, the, the big one. And, and if and when that day ever comes, there will be sudden destruction. And Paul says about the return of Christ, the Lord will come, there will be destruction, and there will be those who do not escape the day of the Lord. So prepare for a sudden destruction with this knowledge of His return. But also as Christians, we should preserve a spiritual distinction a spiritual distinction. You know, what do we do with this knowledge? Okay, Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a day of destruction. There will be those who are not prepared. As Christians, we know he's coming, so how should we be prepared? What makes us distinct from those? First of all, Paul gives a spiritual affirmation in verses 4 and 5 and he says, but you, brethren. And he says, they will not escape because they don't know. He says, but you, brethren. And there is the distinction there between the non-Christian and the Christian. But you, brethren, you are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. He says, Jesus is coming unannounced like a thief, but you're not in darkness like they are. There is something different about you as a Christian. You are, not in, you are not in the dark. You are not ignorant of the truth. The light of Christ has shone in your hearts, and you have been changed. You've been transformed, and along with this transformation comes a new intimate knowledge of God and God's plans. In verse 5, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. And in the Hebrew, when you would say someone was a son of, that means they carried that same characteristic. To say we are sons of light, and if God is light, then we, we are to bear His resemblance. We have a new spiritual nature that we are like Christ. We are of light, and we are sons of the day, and we are not of night nor of darkness. And there's this distinction between us, Christians, them, non-Christians, us, light, them, dark, us, day, them, nights. And as we're going to see, the distinctions are spelled out even more so in the next few verses. But what Paul is saying, there is a spiritual affirmation that we will not be shocked because we are not in the night. And we are not in the dark. And dark, as I said, talks about the, the characteristic of ignorance. You, you, you can't see. You just don't know. You're in the dark. But also it bears not only ignorance, but immorality. Paul says those who are in the dark, they don't know any better, so therefore they don't live any different. They, they live like they are in the dark. Those who do things that they are ashamed of like to operate in the dark so no one sees them. Paul says that's the same way spiritually but brethren you are not of the dark you are sons of light sons of the day Christians we have a new creation we have a new nature we have a spiritual affirmation from God we are distinct therefore we should live like it verse 6 and 7 says we have a spiritual admonition admonition because you're different so then don't live like lost people if you're not lost don't live like it verse 6 so then here's the result of this knowledge you are sons of light sons of day you're not of night you're not of darkness so then let us not sleep as others do but let us be alert there's another distinction between being sleepy being groggy and being alert. You ever tried to drive when you're sleepy? Oh, it's miserable. <laughs> Rolling the window down, you're turning the music up, you know, you're know, you're, you tapping your, your steering wheel, you're tapping your leg. You know, sometimes I'll even try to pinch myself, try to stay awake. It's, it's miserable. Paul says that's not the way to operate as a Christian. You're not to be asleep, you are to be alert, you're to be on guard, you're to be watching. Because you know you're in the light. You know, you see, you've got the truth. You know Christ is coming. You know judgment day is coming. And with that knowledge, you are to live differently, Paul says. Let us not sleep as others do, literally as the rest. There's another distinction that draws in what we looked at last week. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Paul says, as Christians, we grieve differently because we have hope. Paul says, as Christians, we are to live differently because we have hope, because we are in the light, and we have truth. The rest, Paul says, we don't live like the rest. We don't sleep as the rest do. They don't know any better. We are to be alert and sober. Literally, the word sober means self-controlled. We are to have our wits about ourselves. To be drunk means you, you, you lose your, your faculties. You lose your inhibitions. And, and sometimes you do and say things you wouldn't do if you were sober. Paul says as Christians, we are to live as sober folks. Live as self-controlled people. We control the, the passions, the desires of the flesh. We don't, we don't just do what feels right. We don't, we don't just do what makes us feel good. We do what the Lord would have us to do. That's self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, don't sleep as the rest. But be alert. Be sober. Why? Because those who sleep do their sleeping at night those who get drunk get drunk at night in other words as Christians we have the light therefore we don't live in a shameful way as do the rest they don't know any better they do what comes naturally as sinners as Christians we're in the light not in the dark therefore don't live like you're in the dark but live in the light Self-controlled and vigilance, keeping your wits about you. With this knowledge, Jesus is coming. In verse eight, he talks about our spiritual ammunition. You know, how do we stay self-controlled? How do we how do we stay sober? Verse eight, he says, "But since we are of the day, since we are of the day, let us." be sober let us be self-controlled well Paul how can I do that in the midst of this fallen world in the midst of this world that's filled with darkness Paul how can I live as a a child of the day a child of the light Paul says verse 8 let us be sober having put on literally means having, having clothed yourself with and, and continually remaining clothed in this way, verse 8, having put on and keeping on two pieces of armor, the breastplates and the helmet, as a Roman soldier, as one who would who would not be sleepy, and one who would be alert and one who would be sober, as a soldier would stand guard, being watchful, understanding that he has a great responsibility upon his shoulders, a Roman soldier would not be sleepy and would not be drunk, would be alert, and the soldier would be clothed with armor to defend himself accordingly the breastplate to defend the vital organs and the helmet to protect the head and Paul says as Christians be sober having put on and then he uses the imagery here as he does in Romans and as he does in Ephesians about the armor of God and Paul says the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. As Christians, we are to gird ourselves. We are to constantly be putting on faith, hope, and love. The virtues, the prime virtues of the Christian, faith, hope, and love. And Paul, one of his favorite things, we've already seen it in this letter several times, haven't we? Emphasizing faith, hope, and love, trusting in God, Hoping in the future because of knowing what God has done in the past and in loving the Lord accordingly because of what He has done and in loving others as an extension of our relationship with God. Faith, hope, and love. Paul says, keep faithing. Keep hoping. Keep loving. And that's how you stay sober. That's how you stay self-controlled. In this world of darkness, keep putting on faith. Keep putting on hope. Keep putting on love. And then acting out and living out faith, hope, and love. As a Christian, that's how you stay grounded. That's how you stay rooted. That's how you stay walking in the light. Jesus is coming back, therefore I need to keep the faith. Jesus is coming back, therefore I need to keep hoping. Jesus is coming back, therefore I need to keep loving. And if you and I will do those three things, faith, hope, and love continually, we will stay alert. And our eyes will be not only on this earth, but our eyes will be fixed on heaven knowing His return, His imminence. And we will live distinctively as those who have no faith and those who have no hope and those who have no love. Christians, we're not like that. We are of the day. Let us stay sober, because we are in the lights. The back parking lot of the church, there is a light that's on the corner, and that light has been out uh, for the past uh, several weeks. There had a problem with some water getting into it, and it short circuited, and the light went out. And it also took out some of the lights inside the church that were on the same uh, breaker there. And it's very dark. You go outside at night, out back there, it's pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. So that's why it's so important to have that light because we can see and be aware. And that light drives back the darkness. And Jesus says himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in me walks in the light and not in the darkness. So Jesus is the light of the world. But you know who else Jesus said is the light of the world? He said, you are the light of the world as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill should not be hidden, and a light should not be put underneath a basket. Therefore, let your light shine before men, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Christians, we are in the light because He is in the light. And if we are sons of the light, we will bear those characteristics of the light and we will shine in the darkness. And the light is distinct from the darkness. The light is different from the darkness. How different are you in this dark world? Are you shining the light of Christ? Are you reflecting the light of the sun? Are you preserving a spiritual distinction? finally we are to proceed as believers to a secured destination our courage moving forward is, as we looked at before is rooted in what he has done already in the past and therefore we know because of what he has done already we are moving in the right direction to a secure destination and why do we have courage well first of all verse 9 shows his election Give us, gives us hope this Four, because God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Elections. We already said elections coming up Tuesday. The way elections work in our minds is we, we look at the different candidates and we weigh the pluses and the minuses and we choose the one that we think is best. That's not the way the election of God works works what God looks and he sees humanity and he says they're all sinners they're all deserving wrath but God says I will choose some I will choose some to display my glory and to display that I am love I will choose and I will pardon and I will forgive some and we have faith and we have hope because God is a God who loves and a God is a God who demonstrates that by choosing Paul referenced that already in chapter 1, that he saw the evidence of their election through their lifestyle. God has not destined us for wrath. And the flip side of that is that there are those who are destined for wrath. But God has not chosen us, God has not destined us for wrath, but what? For obtaining, for gaining salvation, being saved from the wrath. How? How can I be saved from the wrath that is to come, That destruction that is to come suddenly? How? Obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him and Him alone. Christ is the only way. He is the only way to be saved from that wrath that is to come. So Paul talks not only about God's election that gives us hope, Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, but also His redemption in verse 10 that gives us hope. Speaking of Christ, He says, Through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, in the verse 10, who died for us. Because Christ died for us. As a Christian, it's about Christ. Not just Christ, but Christ died. Not just Christ died, but Christ died for us. Christ died for a reason. Christ died for a purpose. What is that purpose? Why did Christ die? Why did He die for? He died for us, verse 10 says. Christ died for us. That's a very rich statement. It speaks about the substitutionary death of Jesus. He didn't die for His own sins. He didn't die because He was guilty. He died because we, as sinners, we are all guilty. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all by nature, Paul says, children of wrath and sons of disobedience. But Christ died for us. God demonstrates, Paul says, Romans 5, 8, His own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The redemption that we have in Christ because of what He has done for us. And notice how verse 9 and 10 spells this out. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, So that whether we are awake or asleep, and there's some debate about what he's talking about there, awake or asleep, he's talking about living, or those who have passed. That's a terminology he used last week. Or it might be those who are alert and those who are not so alert as believers but the good news is it doesn't matter if we're alive or dead as Christians it doesn't matter if we are alert and faithful as Christians or if we have dropped the ball as Christians it doesn't matter because it's based upon His faithfulness Christ who died for us so whether we are awake or asleep we will live together with Him notice that Christ died for us so that we will live Christ died we live we got the, we got the good end of the stick on that deal <laughs> Christ died so that we live. Christ paid our penalty so that we can be forgiven. Christ went to the grave so that we can go to glory. Christ died so that we will live. It is His redemption that gives us hope. We are preserved by His work, finished, completed on the cross. Through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. His communion gives us hope. Notice that. We will live together. We will live together. We will live together. It's a truth that Paul established last week, wasn't it? When Christ returns that, that we will be gathered those who are alive and those who have already passed to be with our Lord, there is a grand reunion. We will live together. We, those who have put their faith and their trust in Christ, we, collectively, brothers and sisters, we will live together. We will live together, not only just us together, but we will live together, verse 10, with Him. With Him. The grand reunion is us together and also us together with Him. With Him. His communion, His his reunion with us and our loved ones. We will live together with Him. And that gives me hope. And I pray that gives you hope. No matter what you're going through in this life, we will live because Christ died. We will live together with Him if we are children of the day and children of the light born again by His saving grace. His communion gives us hope. Finally his instruction gives us hope. Verse 11 therefore y'all heard this what does that mean? You don't pass therefore what? Until you remember what it's Therefore. It tells you, in light of everything Paul just said, in light of the fact Christ is coming, there's sudden destruction, but we are children of the light, we are distinct, we are different, and Christ died for us. We have an eternal destination that's secured. Therefore, because of this knowledge, Paul says, this is what I want you to do. He doesn't say, therefore, try to pinpoint the date and the time Jesus is coming. He doesn't say, to sell all your possessions, go live in a commune somewhere on top of a mountain and gaze at the heavens. That's not what He says to do. Therefore, what? Encourage one another and build one another up. Therefore, encourage. Therefore, give hope to. Therefore, comfort. It's back to our responsibility as children of the light, we are to emanate the light of Christ therefore encourage one another church we are here to encourage one another because Christ has died for us and Christ is coming again and we will be reunited and we will live together with him therefore encourage each other with that truth not only encourage he says one another build one another up edify strengthen give, give hope give vibrancy challenge each other Come on now, we're children of the light. We're children of the day. We shouldn't be living like this. We shouldn't be acting like this. We ought to be different. Come on, let's build one another up in the faith. Therefore, because of Christ is coming, build one another up. And he says, just as you are also doing. Again, he's commending that church. He says, you're doing a good job. You're already doing this stuff. You know this stuff. You're doing this stuff. Keep it up. Don't quit. Don't let up. Don't stop. Even even much more as the day is approaching, Hebrews 10 says, keep provoking and stirring and encouraging and challenging, building one another up. Our ministry is to keep one another gospel focused. Focused on the goal, on the destination, that destination that is secured in heaven. You know, from time to time, you'll be asked to give directions to somebody. I was asked yesterday, somebody said, you know, can you tell somebody how to get from here to the Cracker Barrel in Mount Sterling? And Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know where the Cracker Barrel in Mount Sterling is. And so you, you start with where you're at, and then you give directions, and then what? There's a final destination. There is a, a, a pinpoint. There is an A, there is a B, and you're going from here, and you end up here. What would be the point if I just sent them rambling and driving in circles? Okay, you go to Lexington, you hop on Highway 4, and you just keep going. That'd be useless, wouldn't it? But there's a lot of people living their life, and that's their direction. They're just going and going and going, and they have no final destination in mind. How foolish. Because if nothing else, history is His story. It is linear. It is starting with creation and it goes to the fall and then it goes to redemption and the final consummation. History has a final point, a point B. That point B is Christ is coming. There is judgment. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Prepare one another. Prepare those. Prepare those who have no hope. Prepare those who have no faith prepare. Christ is coming again. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. And as you're driving and you're going on your destination, if you've got kids, you've heard that infamous question, are we there yet? And then the answer is no, we'll be there when we get there. But there is a there. Right. We ain't there yet, but we're going to be. Why? Because Christ is died for us his saving work of redemption has guaranteed our final destination and either you're on board or you're not either you're a child of the light or you're a child of the darkness either you're headed for destruction or you're headed for salvation and it all hinges upon your personal choice of submitting yourself to King Jesus either you have accepted his sacrifice for your sin or you're going to pay the penalty for your sin the choice is yours it's a simple choice. Either this or this. There's no see all of the above. Either you're a child of light or a child of darkness headed for salvation or headed for destruction. The old saying goes, live like you're dying. As a Christian, you need to live like He's coming. That's the entire reason Paul has talked about the second coming. It's not to give us trivial facts so we can draw out these big charts and posters and and look at all this and say, well, it's going to be this day, it's going to be this time, this is going to happen. No, the reason for this is to encourage us, live like He's coming. He is coming. He is coming. Are you ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again.